are dismissed. It's interesting he was talking about that. I didn't know he was going to read that article, but we grew up in Indiana where there's a lot of a lot of farming. Does anybody anybody in here ever done any farming? Anybody? I, I'm growing a garden, and I saw a, a pea come in the other day, and I'm super excited. So uh, I'm not a farmer, but I am trying to do a garden. But we had a we had a farmer that we all worked for growing up here and there. We would uh, bale hay with him and things like that, and uh, he always planted, he would alternate between corn and beans each year. <clears throat> and the one year he had corn coming up and I said, man, that is, I can't believe how fast that's coming up. And he said that, and I don't know, he wasn't referring to those sounds, but he said, if you sit there in the field, you can hear that corn growing, which I thought that was pretty interesting with that article. But uh, anyways, welcome to the, uh, the deep freezer here. I'm not sure why it's so cold in here. I think when our AC actually can keep up, we just let it keep up because we're excited that it's keeping up. So Matthew chapter 5 is where I'd like you to go in your Bibles. I wanted to uh, start a series. Uh, me, if, if you don't know, me and Brother Josh kind of alternate um, uh, series here for adult Sunday school. So he just finished his series on considering Christ. He had 13 weeks of different um, ways we can consider Christ. And I wanted to, when, when I started my series, to do a, a series on the names of Christ. Uh, I didn't quite get that ready, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do that this time. I'll probably do it next time. But we're going to talk about something, to me, is very interesting in the Bible. And we're going to do a little bit here at the beginning, in, in a way of introduction, of actual school part of Sunday school, okay? So, uh, as a way of introduction... Does anybody know, and I'm not asking for an answer, but I want you to think about this, the difference between an allegory, a parable, and a metaphor uh, in the Bible? And not just in the Bible. I mean, we have the allegories outside of the Bible and, and different things, but there's a big difference between an allegory, a parable, and a metaphor. Uh, does anybody know, and I will ask you to answer this if somebody can, what an, what an allegory is? And I don't need the actual definition, but what is an allegory? Trying to figure out what are the differences here because, uh, well, I'll tell you in a second. Does anybody know what an allegory is or what you, in your mind, you think of as an allegory? A comparison? Okay. Anybody else? This is the school part. It's been a while since y'all been in school. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you can hear him. All right, let me, let me ask you, yes, I was going to say, let me, give, let me ask you something a little simpler. Does anybody know of an allegory that's very, some, <clears throat> some allegories that are really, really common, we all know of them. <clears throat> what isn't, what allegorical story are, are out there? And she just mentioned Pilgrim's Progress, so that might get your minds going. You know of any others? And they don't have to be just biblical. Think of, uh, I, I thought of this example while I was studying, but... Uh, you ever heard of Animal Farm by George Orwell? That is a, that's an allegory. So it's not a biblical allegory, but it was George Orwell's take on the Bolshevik Revolution, Bolshevik Revolution and 
the uh, Russian, what was going on in Russia at that time. That's what Animal Farm is. But Pilgrim's Progress is that. Has anybody ever heard of The Holy War? Anybody ever read that book? It's another one by John Bunyan, and I would really encourage you to read that. Uh, it's actually pretty thick. It's kind of like Pilgrim's Progress, but it's exactly the same thing. And it's an it's allegory of, and so I'll give you the definition of allegory real quick. It is, it is a story with a hidden meaning. That's all it is. So if you think about Pilgrim's Progress, it's a, it's a story. If you were just reading that and didn't know anything about what he was trying to talk about, it's a neat story. But it's got all these hidden meanings behind it. Animal Farm is the same way. Uh, <clears throat> he's, he's telling a story about a farm where all the animals rebel against the farmer, but that's not what the story is about. It's, it's all these hidden meanings. Uh, the Holy War is the same thing, and, and I would really would encourage y'all to read that. But it's a city. The city is called Mansoul, all right, which is pretty obvious. It's man's soul, and it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual war for man's soul. And there's all these different gates, ear gate, eye gate. And it talks about in that story how Satan or Diabolos, as he calls him in the story, enters man's soul through the eye gate and through the ear gate and just causes all this uh, destruction. And in the end, uh, Shaddai, the king, comes and rescues man's soul from Diabolos. But anyways, that's an allegory. Uh, so what then? Actually, I want to talk about some allegories for a second because... Uh, and this is not what we're going to be talking about in this series, but um, to, to talk about it a little bit more, there are people that say basically all the stories in the Bible or all of the uh, teachings that Christ was trying to give us are allegories. Why is that important? Why would that be important that they're not just allegories? Okay, I'll tell you. Good, you're going to learn something this morning. The reason it's important, and, and here's one of them, Jonah in the whale's belly. They say that's, a, that's an allegory with hidden meanings for, okay, how long was Jonah in the, in the whale's belly? All right. What else happened that lasted three days and three nights? Jesus Christ in the tomb. So they say, oh, no, 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 Jonah, the story of Jonah is an allegory for what happened to Christ. We believe that it's an actual story that, of an actual historical thing that happened, all right? And that one may not seem so important. How about the rich man and Lazarus? They say that's an allegory. Uh, why is that important? Because then you can say, well, Jesus wasn't talking about actual hell. He was talking about bad things that happened. It's not the rich man and Lazarus is not a story or an allegory of heaven and hell, or a story of heaven and hell. It's an allegory of bad things happening to, to people on this earth. And I was, as I was studying, I, I, I had not heard this before, but there is now a, and it's probably been around for a while, but there is now a uh, uh, group of people that believe that the book of Revelations is just an allegory. It's just an allegory of what happens on this earth, the bad, the, the sin that's going on on this earth. That's very important that we understand the difference. Those are not allegories. Those are real things that are going to happen in the end times, or they are the end times, and it's a, it's a documentation of that. So that's an allegory. All right, how about what is a parable? This one's a little easier, I think. Miss Vicki. And that is the definition we learned in Sunday school, we teach in Sunday school. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what Christ used all the time. Somebody give me some examples of parables in the Bible. 
And you don't have to have the actual name, the real name of it, but just the sower. That's a perfect one. I have, I have that one written down, the sower. Uh, anybody else before I read my list? All right, the wheats and the tares, right? We got when Jesus says, you know, don't tear the, don't tear the, take the tares out yet because you might rip the wheat out with it. But when the harvest is, is full, you'll be able to tell really easily which ones are the wheats and the tares. And then you can, can pick just the wheat. That's a parable. Um, it's an earthly story, something they would have understood very easily with a heavenly meaning. Uh, let me find my list. I'll give you some more examples. Uh, the lost pearl, the workers in the vineyard. The wise and the foolish man building their house, right? That, that's not a real story. I mean, he could have seen that happening at some point, but that's a parable Jesus used to say, foolish man built his house on sand. He did not have a good foundation. That's a parable. Uh, let's see. The prodigal son uh, is a very good uh, parable as well. Now, did that actually happen? Was that a real story Jesus was using? Possibly, but it's also a parable of... of uh, something that Jesus used with an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. All right, then finally, the third one is a metaphor. Does anybody know what a metaphor is? And we use these all the time uh, in our own day-to-day -day speech, in our own examples when we're trying to give a story or something like that. Uh, but a metaphor, I'm going to take you all off the hook. Everybody's sweating. Good thing we kept it cold in here. A metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. So it's you take something, all right, give you some examples. Ever heard life is a highway? Life is not a highway, but it's a word that we give to it that we go, okay, I understand what that means. We're traveling along through life. Uh, her, her eyes were diamonds. Not, not, it's not even physically possible, but it's something we understand. Okay, her eyes were sparkling or whatever. The snow is like a white blanket. These are metaphors. Uh, he's a shining star. This was us growing up. That place is a zoo. Uh, you are my sunshine. Well, you're not actually my sunshine, but it's a metaphor for, for what you mean to me, okay? So that's what a metaphor is. This series, we are going to take 13 metaphors in the Bible, and we're going to look through them, all right? So Matthew chapter 5, long way of introduction. Um, let's pray, and then we will read Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, and we'll get into our lesson. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for the chance we have to come and open your word. And uh, God, as Pastor has mentioned in the past and, and preached to us, God, there's so much in your word. And I pray that we would always be studying it so that we can, uh, can be better students, so that we can better understand what you're trying to say to us. But God, I pray as we look at these metaphors, there's so many life principles that we can apply to our own lives. And I pray that we would understand them, that we would apply them, and that we would be, do our best uh, to be good followers of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, we'll read verses 13 through 16. Very, very familiar passage. Uh, without even looking, can anybody tell, us, tell me what the first metaphor is that we're going to look at? Matthew chapter 5. Think about it. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is speaking. All right, go ahead and look at it. Somebody tell me. You know, Ryan? You know. Right, so, so verse 13, you'll see, salt and light, and we're going to do salt first. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out <clears throat> and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And the first, the first lesson was salt and light. I'm just going to do salt because it, it, uh, we do not have time to get through the whole thing. So we're going to talk about the Christian as salt this morning. And Jesus, I already mentioned this, but Christ did this all the time. Took, took things, for example, a farmer, and we're going to get to that here in a couple weeks, a farmer um, in, in his field. Jesus would have used these metaphors because people understood them so well back in this time. Uh, think about salt. Um, salt, first of all, uh, was used to preserve. And I think we, we, we've heard messages on this, salt preserves, salt, all peas, and mine are going to be all peas today too, but uh, maybe a couple that you haven't heard before. But salt being a, pre- a preser- preserver, um, before we had all these uh, artificial preservatives and refrigeration and all that, how did they keep their food? Salt. They would salt it and then smoke it, and that's how they did it. Uh, that's even just in early, early American history, but back in this day, these fishermen, we were, I can't remember who we were talking to about this, but seafood, when it goes bad, it goes bad. I mean, it stinks, right? You can smell that for miles away, really. Uh, you smell dead fish coming from the ocean or something like that. Um, and so they would take these fish, and they got to get them to market. And I'm going to have you turn here while I'm talking. Go to, go to Nehemiah chapter 13, and we'll get there in a second. Uh, but salt uh, works to bring a beneficial change. Uh, and this is not just in our lives. I'm talking about salt, the actual physical salt. Uh, it's, it's used to make a positive difference. And think about, and we'll get to this in a second, but think about when you put it on your food. You're not putting salt on your food to make it taste worse. You're trying to bring about a beneficial change in the food that you're eating, so we put salt on it. Uh, But John chapter 4, verse 17, well, I'm going to give you a couple other verses. Stay in Nehemiah. Don't try to to turn to these. Um, The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that Jesus went about doing good. Then he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible says uh, that we are to follow in his steps. All right, so Jesus went about doing good. We're supposed to follow in his steps. And then John chapter 4, verse 17 as he is, so are we in this world, the Bible says. So what does that mean? We're supposed to go about doing good. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he says in Matthew chapter 5, ye are the salt of the earth. We're not, this is a metaphor. We're not salt. We're the salt of the earth, though. We're the salt of, we're supposed to be salt to what is going on in this world. And we're supposed to bring about a, a positive change. All right. Uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, maybe some of you, does any, do y'all remember Knitting? I know Bill does. Is there any others that don't remember Knitting, the Harvers? Do you remember Knitting, Ryan? Okay. So they left last November. Um, <clears throat> they were here for about two and a half, three years, and Knitting loved to cook. He was an Indian man. Uh, his family got saved here in our church, and they're actually back in India now. I think he's probably watching. Uh, they, because of the time change, they watch our Sunday morning service for their Sunday evening service. But he is back in India now as a missionary, uh, even though he is Indian. He's back in his hometown as a missionary, started a church and all that. But when he would, he would invite us over to cook, uh, to eat. And a lot of times we would get there when they were still cooking. And Indians have this uh, spice, I guess a wheel or a, 
a ring or something like that. It's all these bins of spices. <clears throat> I'm talking 16 or 18 different spices, and they a little bit here, a little bit of this, a little bit, get it hotter if you want it or whatever else. But salt, that's, that's everybody across the world uses salt in their cooking. So uh, <clears throat> the point is that everything in this world spiritually especially needs us to be salt to them as we see in, in verse 13. So first of all, salt preserves. Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, this is just a, I didn't even go there. This is a, uh, just one verse that I want to read, but then, and, but then uh, expand on it. I should have turned there. Now I'm looking silly. Can't find it. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 16. Go, go to verse 16. And this goes along with our Bible geography we've been, we've been learning uh, on Sunday nights. But verse, thir- verse 16. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. So Jesus is in Jerusalem giving this message. And, and in Nehemiah chapter 13... Talks about men from Tyre and Sidon. Anybody give me a guess on how far Tyre or Sidon, Tyre and Sidon are from Jerusalem? How far do you think? 50 miles? It's a hundred miles by the way of the by the way the crow flies. So you imagine how long it would have taken them to get to Jerusalem to uh, and that's all I wanted to point out in that verse was. They're coming 100 miles, so probably 120 miles, 130, yeah, maybe, who knows how much of a direct line they had, from Tyre and Sidon to Jerusalem bringing fish. They would have had to keep them preserved somehow. They would have used salt. And, and the reason this is important is because when Jesus is teaching these people, they would have known that that's kind of what's coming, where these fish are coming from and things like that, and know how they preserve them when they come to that city. So they would have used salt to, to preserve these fish as they came. And I also looked it up because I've, I've heard this uh, message or this topic many, many times that, we, that salt preserves. How does it preserve? What is it doing? So I actually looked that up, and the short answer is it, it pulls all the water out of whatever it's trying to preserve. So, so the water is what allows microbial uh, fungus and different things to grow. It pulls all the water out of that and, and doesn't allow that. So anyway, just an interesting thing there, but that's why they would salt this. So salt was a preservative. And as Christians, there's a couple ways that we can preserve in this world. We're not trying to preserve our politics. We're not trying to preserve our freedoms, even though we, we do love them and we, and we uh, are thankful to God for them. But we're trying to act as a preserving agent in an evil world, which is why it's so important that we raise our kids, uh, not just to stay in church. That's not the goal. The goal is to raise our kids to love God the way that we do, or even even more so, uh, to preserve this world. And what's the point of preserving this world? I think it's very interesting. On Easter Sunday, we had two men come in and, and get saved. And uh, I can't remember who was saying it, but I heard, heard a couple men talking uh, afterwards, maybe even in another sermon service, um, you know, maybe God was waiting for those last two souls to get saved. That's why God is preserving this this uh, earth 
uh, through Christians. It's not to, uh, you know, so that our kids can grow up or so that we can grow old and watch, watch our grandkids get, get older. That's not what it's about. It's about seeing people come to Christ. And so if we can preserve, if we can act as a preserving agent in this world long enough to see a couple more come to Christ and a couple more come to Christ. Um, I, I, I wrote, read this and I wrote it down. We live in an evil and corrupt world today, yet I believe God is mercifully withholding his final judgment because there are still some people who love him and desire to make a difference for him. That's what we're supposed to be. That's the preserving that we're doing uh, in, this, in this world. Um, I'm going to have you turn to a few verses, uh, to a few passages here uh, in a minute, and, and they're not real close, so you're going to be jumping around, but I want you to see them. Um, you ever heard, ever heard somebody say, boy, he's worth his salt? You know what that means? In Roman times, they actually used to pay with salt, and so uh, it, because salt was so important, not just for putting on your food, but for preserving and different things, and they actually traded in salt at times, and so when they paid a man in salt, they would say he, he's worth his salt. He's worth the salt that they gave him. But just in, interesting how important it was back in this time, which is why Jesus would have used it uh, in his message, because everybody there would have understood exactly what he was talking about. But salty Christians, a Christian worth his salt, will help protect himself, his family, his church, uh, and everyone around him from damaging influences of the world. We are in this world. We, we know that. We, there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, but the Bible does say, in James chapter 1, verse 27, I'd like you to turn there if you can. Uh, I have these all written down, so I'm going to be a lot faster than you. But James chapter 1, verse 27, says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's, that's what we are doing in this world, not just for ourselves, though, for our families, for our church. Um, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, and there's other pieces, but the end says to keep himself unspotted from the world. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. If you can keep up, great. If not, just listen. Proverbs chapter 4, 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We're preserving our hearts. We're, we're keeping our hearts. Uh, and we're going to look at this in just a minute. Uh, how do we keep salt in our lives? How do we do that? We'll look at it in a second. Psalm chapter 34, verse 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Uh, last part of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Keep that which is committed to thy trust. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22. Neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. So, we're preserving um, by keeping the good in and keeping the bad out. And that's what salt actually did uh, when they used it as a preserving agent is it would keep, salt would keep all those juices that's already in the meat, say, would, would keep it in, but it would keep all that, uh, those microbes and that fungus out to preserve it. Um, I don't know if y'all, if anybody has ever had uh, meat that's been preserved with salt. I had it one time. A uh, guy at work brought a slab of bacon that he had uh, salted and smoked in his smokehouse. And uh, anyway, he brought it for another guy, and the guy didn't show up for work. He was like, you want it? He gave me this big slab of bacon. And I said, I mean, what do, what do I do with it? Because it didn't look like bacon. It's not strips of bacon. It's this big, almost looked like ribs. And uh, he said, J you can cut a piece off right now and eat it. 
So I cut a piece off with my knife and put it in my mouth, and it was so salty. It tasted like I was drinking the ocean. It was so salty. He said, you know, you can't eat it like that. you got to put it in beans or something like that, and then you don't need to add salt. But anyways, so I've had meat pure, uh, preserved with, with salt, and it is salty. Second thing, salt purifies. Salt purifies. Uh, salt kills germs. Some, some interesting examples, and there's lot, I have lots of illustrations uh, today. Uh, just to kind of help understand what I what it is that I'm talking about, but um, Brother Johnny said this the other day, and, and I think it's 100% accurate. We are we are uh, Christians first, and it's not just what we do. We don't just be Christians; it's who we are. I think it's very important to to uh, remember and to to live our lives that way. But we are not just. Oh yeah, I go to church on Sunday. Christian is, it's who we are. It, it uh, affects everything in our lives, our, our talk, uh, our walk, our actions, um, the way we love our families, the way we work, you know, our honesty. It affects everything because we are Christians. It's not just what we do. Um, but salt purifies. And so Christians, if we're to be the salt of the earth, are supposed to purify in this in this world, um, and how are we purified? Exodus chapter thirty-four. I'm not going to read it, but we're purified through the time that we spend in God's Word. And this is what I what I started to mention earlier. How do we have salt in our lives? It's through God's Word, through time spent uh, in His Word. When you walk in a when you walk in a room, think about think about Moses when he came down from the mountain after getting the uh, Ten Commandments. And that's, that's in Exodus chapter 34. Uh, his face glowed from his time being that he spent with God. And he didn't really notice it, but the people did. Uh, do people, and I'm not saying we do it for this, but do people know that you've spent time with God? When you walk into a room, does the, maybe just say in a church building, in a church, in a, in a church sanctuary, does the spiritual temperature go up or does it go down? You know, are you... And I'm not saying it's wrong to tell stories about what happened, you know, through the week. But does the spiritual temperature of the room go down when you walk in, you know, and everybody's being funny and, and goofy? Or does the spiritual temperature go up? And we have fun at church. Uh, you, you'll see that in, in the next service. We have a great time at church. But we are supposed to purify our own lives with God's word and then help purify everyone around us uh, through through our lives that we have because we have spent time with Christ. Go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. This is a perfect example. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is about uh, Peter and John. The Bible says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So they knew Peter and John from before. They had seen them around, and they knew they were fishermen. They knew they were unlearned men. But then they get up and they, they, they teach, and they're marveling at them because, man, I know these guys have no schooling. How are they teaching like this? How are they uh, giving God's word like this to other people? They took knowledge. Uh, uh, they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That's how they, that's how they got that. They had been with Jesus. Uh, 
Go to Acts chapter 16. You're not too far from there. This is the story of Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And we're talking about purifying around you. If you're the salt of the earth, you should be purified. Salt only lasts. It only goes so far, right? Uh, You put a little dash of salt in a big pot of rice, it, it only goes so far. It might change it a little bit, maybe barely perceptible, it'll change it, but it only goes so far. So we can't change the entire world by being a Christian uh, in our community, but we can change our community. Look at uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. How did the prisoners hear them? Where were they? They were in prison themselves. But this being salt of the earth was purifying even in a prison cell. Midnight, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, and what was the result of all of this? The doors opened, but what was the end result of this whole story? Yes, the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer was saved because of the, the testimony of Paul and Silas. And that's the point. We purify uh, around us. Uh, I read a, read a story uh, during the Civil War, 45 to 50% of all fatalities was caused by gangrene. 45 to 50% of all the men that died, died because of gangrene in the wounds that they had received. Wounds probably that nowadays, a couple of weeks they might be back out there fighting, but it was killing them. Uh, and, and toward the end of the Civil War, every wound Every wounded soldier that came in immediately was basically doused in a, in a solution of salt water because they finally figured out salt can purify these wounds and possibly keep all this, uh, this infection out. Uh, but 45 to 50% of the men died from that. I remember hearing that one time we went to a battlefield, and it's just amazing. Thirdly, salt, salt preserves, salt purifies, and salt pleases. Um, Got to stick with the peas. So Job chapter 6, verse 6 says, Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? It's interesting, coming from the book of Job, isn't it? It's the oldest book in the Bible, uh, chronologically. But can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Um, We put salt on our food often, probably too much salt on our food to give it that taste. But that's how God's people should be with our words with our actions with our long suffering with our with our patience to especially other christians but even the unsaved we can be a, we can be pleasing to those around us and what i mean by that is uh proverbs chapter 25 verse 11 a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver what is that saying where a christian should be pleasant to be around uh, we stand up for what we believe is right according to God's word, and we fight hard uh, against abortion and some of the other cultural issues that we're, we're dealing with right now. But we should be pleasant to be around, especially around other Christians. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, The Lord hath given me the tongue of the, of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Uh, we should be pleasant to be around. And, and, and speaking of words, you know, Adolf Hitler, uh, we watched a whole documentary on him 
uh, my family did uh, not too long ago. Adolf Hitler was was really a nobody uh, before he, when he came to power, he did it with words. There was an absence of leadership, and he stepped in, and with his words, kind of took over uh, the, the whole German population, and not all of them. Uh, there was a whole faction that disagreed with him, thought he was, was crazy. But with his words, he was able to suck people in and get them so opposed to the Jews and so ready to fight. And, and on the other hand, you had uh, Winston Churchill, who when the, when the Germans were coming to take England, with his words, he was able to rally all of England behind him, even though they knew they were opposing this huge war machine. Uh, and they were standing alone at the time. With his words, he was able to uh, rally the, the British people. Our words are so important. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And we could go on with many, many words, uh, verses. Uh, Proverbs 16, 24, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and health to the bones. Pleasant. Uh, we, should be, we should be pleasant as Christians. And the last thing is, uh, salt, to stick with the peas, salt prods. Um, you've heard the phrase, you, can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? But you can lead a horse to water, and you can make him thirsty, too, by using salt, right? That's what a lot of farmers do. They, they make their animals thirsty. They put these salt blocks out, and then uh, it causes them to need to drink. And that, very simply, is what Christians should be to the unsaved. We should be living lives. We, we shouldn't be... And there are people like this, even at my own work. We should not be the most uh, uh, ordinary guy at work. We should not be the one complaining about, and, and I'm talking to myself. There are times where I get, you know, there's stuff at work that I'm like, why are we doing it like this? I shouldn't be the most outspoken critic of my bosses. Um, we should be, the way we live, the way we act, should be making other people, unsaved especially, thirsty for the things of God. And, and uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but there are people in this church that when I am around them, it encourages me to, man, I need, I need to do better. I need to be spending more time in God's word. I need to be praying. Why? Because the way they're living is making me thirsty for that righteousness or for that to live holy. And that's the way we should be. Uh, so that's what I mean by salt prods. Salt, a Christian should be so salty that when others are around him, Others get thirsty uh, for the things that, that I have, and meaning what, what I have in my heart and in my life, and that is God. Um, because John chapter 4, verse 14, uh, this is the woman at the well, right? And Jesus said to her, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. We should, we should make people thirsty uh, for Jesus Christ. Salt preserves, salt purifies, salt prods, and salt pleases, or we sh it should be a pleasant thing uh, when, when a Christian, when we are around, all right? We're going to quiz on that next week, the four P's of salt, and then we will get into the second metaphor next week of uh, Christians being a light in this world. We'll be back in Matthew chapter 5, all right? Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed uh, for the next service. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us, and we don't say that lightly, God. We thank you for waking us up, for giving us the breath that, that we have, for sustaining us. God, thank you for the good lives that you've given us. God, we don't all have the money that we would like to have. We don't all have the, the uh, 
everything in place like, like we would like to have, but you're so good to us, God. We've, uh, we can't thank you enough, especially for the salvation that you gave to us and the opportunity each one of us has had to accept that. And so I pray that as we go out into this world and we are salt uh, to this world and salt to the Christians around us, God, that we would be drawing men to you. The uh, Bible says if we lift you up, you'll draw all men to yourself. So I pray that we'd be doing that uh, as we go out and uh, work and, and uh, even shopping in grocery stores, wherever we're at, that we would be uh, salt to this world. Pray that you give us a good next hour. Pray that you be with our pastor as he preaches, that you give him the words to say. Fill him with your power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're dismissed.